ideas, inspiration, innovation. This is The Game Changer. And now here's your host, Chickie Fitzgerald. Good afternoon, this is Chickie Fitzgerald, and we are going to change the game in a little bit different way today. We are going to be talking about money, which is a topic that uh, we don't normally talk about on The Game Changer, but it is super important to shatter money taboos and talk more openly about your finances and live a richer life, which is actually the subtitle of the book that we're going to be talking about today, Breaking Money Silence. The author and my guest today is Kathleen Burns Kingsbury. Kathleen, welcome. Thank you. I'm excited to uh, have a conversation and chat about Breaking Money Silence with you. Well, great. Kathleen, before we dive into the book content, why don't you tell us a little bit about your background and, and what qualifies you to talk about money? Certainly. I have a very varied background, an interesting background. I specialize in financial psychology, and I have a background both in banking and finance as well as working around uh, counseling and psychology. And so what I did about a decade ago is I blended the two together and formed a company called KBK Wealth Connection. And that company primarily uh, speaks with uh, financial advisors, bankers, financial professionals, and trains them how to talk with women, uh, couples, and the next generation about money. So financial communication is kind of my sweet spot. Wow, and who knew that there was such a thing as a wealth psychology expert? I've got a, a daughter who is uh, just uh, about to turn 20, and she's in her second year of psychology at the University of Warsaw in Poland, Oh, and uh, she hasn't yet figured out what she's going to do, so I'm going to have to tell her that there's a new kind of psychology that she doesn't know about. There is. It's kind of a growing field, and you know, for the right person, uh, it's really interesting and fascinating. Well, so tell me how you uh, came about writing this particular book. I know you have written a number of books about uh, the topic, but why this book and why now? Great question. I, Breaking Money Silence is actually my fifth book, and it feels to me as if it's a culmination of all the things that I've learned over the past two decades. And basically, I was really fed up with the idea that over half, well, not over, about a half of Americans feel uncomfortable talking about personal finances, so much so that they'd rather talk about death, religion, or politics. Think about that. They'd rather talk about death and dying than personal wow. finances. And I thought to myself, something's wrong with this. Why is this taboo so strong? And, and why is it still around at a time in our society when you know, we talk about everything, it seems? So that was kind of the impetus for me to start to explore the social taboo and, more importantly, uh, offer readers you know, tips, tools, and skills to say, hey, you know, we can have meaningful financial conversation and, and Talking about money doesn't have to be taboo anymore. Right, right. Now, you you introduced this topic by saying that being quiet was never your strong suit. <laughs> I think I can gauge that just from, from your introduction of this. Um, but but why is that important in, in the context of talking about this being taboo and breaking money silence? Well, I think what ends up happening for a lot of us, and I'm going to say women maybe a little bit more than men, 
um, is that often we're silenced when it comes to talking about finance, that for some reason, you know, we're not supposed to in our society talk about finance. It's, you know, it's rude or it's unnecessary or whatever we've been convinced uh, by either our families or society. And so it's funny because for years, you know, I've been referred to jokingly by my family as the mouse because I always have something to say. I think I was born with an opinion. And I decided instead of to be quieted and decide that that was not a good thing was to embrace it. And so, you know, as I started to embrace that in a variety of areas of my life, it eventually led to me speaking up about money and having these really wonderful money conversations and realizing that these don't have to be uncomfortable or taboo. They actually can be really helpful and neat and fun, and you can learn things about people in your life. Um, so that's kind of where that introduction came from and, and certainly how I kind of got to this work. Right. And and you also talk about how there there's actually a price to money silence, and, and you, you can't accomplish some of the things that you need to if you stay quiet. Yeah, the price is way too high. I mean, some of the, the things that are startling, in addition to the fact that about half of us feel uncomfortable talking about personal finances, is if you think about you know marriage, and we often talk about 50% of first marriages ending in divorce, well, financial conflict is often cited as a leading cause. Now, <laughs> we have conflict because we don't know how to, you know, conflict in itself isn't bad necessarily, but we don't know how to have these financial conversations throughout the course of our courtship through our marriage, and, and that's a problem. Or you look at parents trying to raise financially fit children, right? And our financial literacy in this country is still pretty dismal. 69% of parents feel more comfortable talking with their teens about sex than investing. And so what's happening is not only are we not talking about it, we're not teaching the next generation how to talk right. about it. You know, and, and I really think that parents and, and adults, a lot of us want to do better than that. We just don't know how. And, and so why is it so taboo? You know, it's, a, it's an interesting question. Certainly when you write a book, you spend a lot of time thinking about that. Um, if you look back for centuries, uh, originally uh, you had a king and a queen, right? And the king decided, I don't want anybody else to know how much gold I have or how much land I have um, because it's going to be dangerous. In other words, to protect myself and my kingdom, we're going to have to be quiet about our wealth. Now you flash forward to modern times, and actually being quiet about your wealth can actually threaten passing on wealth going forward because many um, families aren't able to pass on their wealth because they don't have these money conversations. But in, instead of us learning how to talk about it, that kind of taboo has carried along. So I think about it as being this old kind of tradition that we're all just hanging on to. Um, and it, so it's interesting to me that money is still the topic that is taboo when we do talk about, you know, all these other things. Um, I also think a key contributor currently is that a lot of us don't feel comfortable with our relationship with money. We feel like we're not smart enough financially or because money is more than mm -hmm. just dollars and cents. It's kind of, it, you know, there's a lot that it symbolizes that these mixed emotions keep us silent. Um, so it's kind of a combination of this long-standing tradition that, in my opinion, really needs to die, and also us just being really uncomfortable with our relationship with money because we've been so silent about it. Kind of the old saying, you're as you know, sick as your secrets. Well, the secret right. is making us sick, and we need to talk about money more.
Right, right. And, I mean, you, you actually go so far as to call this being silent and, and that that is deadly, right, and, and that there is a, a significant cost of, of staying quiet. And, you know, I mean, I think back to my own relationship with my husband. We, we got married later in life. Uh, I was 33 and he was 40. And, you know, like the first time money began to come up, um, well, I mean, there were some things that were obvious. First of all, I was a homeowner and he rented. Um, and, you know, I, I tried not to let that be a red flag to me. I, I had just been very fortunate in, in my career, and, and he had chosen to backpack around Central America right, for a couple <laughs> of years and Opposite ran out of money in Dallas, Texas, and I met him a couple of years later, you know. So, um, but I remember starting to plan the wedding, and, you know, that was going to require money. Right and figuring out whether, you know, I certainly uh, I should have saved for my wedding, being 33 and single, right? But that never occurred to me. <laughs> uh, that would have been really smart, by the way. Um, but you know, starting to figure out how you're actually going to pay for it, and and uh, you know, who who has the money coming in, and do do you have enough credit, right? There are all kinds of things that come up. So, so what what are some of the costs that you see of people not being willing to? at least even initiate those discussions, especially when you're just getting to know somebody who you're you're committing to spend the rest of your life with? Well, in terms of couples, I think the cost is we actually um, tend to have more conflict or um, potentially can keep more secrets from each other, and there can be a lower level of intimacy in the relationship if we don't actively talk about money. Now, if you're listening in, you're probably thinking, Really? Um, but the truth is, if you look at the research, couples that talk regularly about money, so maybe that's a short conversation once a week, once a month, they tend to have greater levels of intimacy. And I think it's because it's learning um, not just about you know, whether you're renting or whether you're, you know, own a home, but, but what do you think? What do you believe? What do you value? And how we spend and invest and gift our money really says something about what's important to us. And I know for myself, I can identify with your story in that when my husband and I got engaged, the first thing, and I'm not making this up, the first thing I did was march him down to the bank. We opened up a joint account that then I controlled for 10 years. (laughs) (laughs) And at the time, I thought I was doing the fiscally responsible thing because he was more a spender and I was more a saver. And looking back, I was making a mistake a lot of people make, which is having one partner do it all. Um, that ultimately was not useful. So we no longer practice that system, but um, you know, right. I had to fess up that that was my own need to control the finances, not necessarily that he was a mess around money, which is how I framed it in the past. Oh, that's so funny. Well, and that leads into kind of the next topic, which is is there's this general myth about men being financially literate and just assuming that that's the case. Right now, I happen to be fortunate because we're the opposite of of you and your husband. So uh, I'm I'm the spender, he's the saver. Now I was also the maker of the money. I was the breadwinner for 20 years of our marriage, and it's only the last six or seven years that uh, I've been doing you know a new startup, and you know and and he's actually supporting the family, which is quite lovely, by the way. <laughs> um, so, so what about this myth? Um, what what makes us think that men are financially literate and women aren't? Well, it kind of goes back to you know where this taboo came from. I mean, I think these are long-standing beliefs 
um, one of the things that I do in my work when I either keynote at a financial advising conference or I'm consulting with a you know, group of clients, what comes up for me is often these sayings will be in their language. You know, like uh, I'll give you an example. I was doing a presentation uh, for a group of women and women business owners, they're entrepreneurs, and we were talking about money talk and, you know, what are the automatic thoughts and beliefs we have about women. And some of them tend to be, you know, women aren't interested in finance, women don't talk about money. And one woman said to me, she raises my hand, she goes, well, she goes, you know, all men talk about money. That's not fair. Like, they talk about money their whole lives. And I looked around the room, and there happened to be these two gentlemen sitting in the corner, right, at the women's event. So part of me thought, ooh, smart, right? And second of all, I thought, ooh, I'm going to ask if I can pick on them. So I turned to the men and I said, you know, you don't have to answer this, but I'm curious. When you hear that, is that your experience as men? And they said, no. They go, some men talk about money, some men don't. And the men that tend to talk about money, they tend to talk about it when they're already in trouble. And so all the women in the room were like, oh, really? And I felt in that moment, Chicky, we busted that myth wide open. You know, this idea right. that somehow guys are always sitting around talking about investments and women are always kind of, you know, spending money are not true. And, yeah. uh, you know, it, I just think it's really hurtful. It, it, I understand that, you know, we have these beliefs because it's sometimes easier to put people in little buckets. But by right. putting us in these little gender money myth buckets, it, it really hurts our ability to have open, honest conversations and learn from each other. Right. You know, my husband. Well, I, is, I'll tell you a, a, another story about a women's event. Um, yeah. You know, I've been in the travel industry my whole life, and uh, about, oh gosh, it must be a little bit more than ten years ago, um, there was a conference. In fact, it was right after September 11th. I'm remembering now. And we did a by invitation only women's event right before a major industry conference. So women who were already going to be coming to the conference. But we kept it small. I think we had about 30 or 35 women. And we sat around a big table. So it wasn't the normal talking heads right, you know, right. Uh, having people speak to them. Right. We had facilitators. And, and one of the things that came out, and I think I probably brought it up, uh, is you know, how many of you are the breadwinners in your home? And I don't know whether it's unique to the travel industry, but here these were primarily uh, director and VP level, you know, if not C-level, uh, or at least solopreneur, entrepreneur kind of types. And the number of hands that went up in the room were astounding. Mm. And it's like, Really? And so, you know, and then we drilled down further, you know, like, do your husbands, like, just have a lesser job, or are they the Mr. Moms, right? And, and it was really quite astounding. Um, so, you know, again, I think that there are just an awful lot of myths out there, and, and particularly, I can tell you, when I was the, the breadwinner, my husband still was keeping all of the financial information. So I was just making all this money. I had no idea what it cost to run our household or our office, right? We had a company and we owned a, an office building. And so one day when I came into his office and said, I don't want to do this anymore, right? And, and I didn't say it quite that way. I said, you know, I, I'm, I'm uh, you know, I don't want to be here is what I said to him. And I had just come off of a, a three-month surgical leave, right? And he's like, oh, just go home and put your feet up. It's like, no, honey, you don't understand. I don't want it's to deeper than that. I don't want to do this anymore. And he turned white, <laughs> right, because he knew how very much it cost to 
to run our household and that if I didn't want to do this anymore, that meant the money was going to dry up. And that was kind of like our, our, our moment of truth in talking about money. And I ended up going in and doing my first entrepreneurial venture after that. I was actually a consultant up to that point, which I don't don't consider consulting entrepreneurial uh, because you can go back and, and do another job, right? But when you have built a company, you can't just unwind that easily. Um, well, and I think what you're raising around anyway, the gender myth yeah. is really interesting yeah. because – you know, you're giving an, a perfect example of how marriages can, nowadays can be seesaw marriages. That's what uh, Heidi Hanna talked about in her book, The yes. End of Men, the, the Rise of Women. And so basically, you know, we've, I've had that happen in my relationship too. And so, uh, you know, I think that um, as our society really continues to push against traditional gender roles, which is wonderful because then as a couple you can decide for yourself how it's going to work in your relationship – we just all need to be kind of aware of when we fall into those traps and how that can lead us to be a little less curious. And when we lose our curiosity, we start making assumptions that then can be really not good for our financial lives or our relationships. Right. Well, and you suggest that you can actually lay out a roadmap for breaking that silence uh, about the topic of money, but that it's not really about trivial things like, you know, your suggestion is it's not about the price of milk. So, <laughs> So what kinds of things must be on that roadmap? I think the first thing that people need to start to do, whether you do this individually or with your partner or with your family, is start to look at what are my automatic thoughts and beliefs about money? You know, what do I think about saving, spending, and gifting and investing? Um, and in the book, there are some exercises to help you kind of go through that process because often what ends up happening um, is if we are in a money disagreement with somebody – we're often arguing about the dollars and cents, or in this case, you know, the price of milk, uh, in the example I use in the book, when in fact it's something deeper than that. Um, for instance, my husband and I uh, had this big disagreement over a $35 coffee maker, which seems ridiculous in hindsight. Um, but the coffee maker, in my opinion, was old. I bought a new one. It was on sale. I thought, great, 35 bucks. That's great. I brought it in. My husband looked and said, well, we don't need a new coffee maker. And so this spiraled into this whole thing about this $35 coffee maker when, in fact, when we took a step back, um, what we realized was that, you know, I was raised to save money. That's my family money message, right? So if it was on sale, you buy it. So I bought it. My husband's money message was you use it till it breaks. So right. we were arguing about the $35, which we could afford. But really the discussion was about when do you replace something? When do you buy something? When is it worth putting out money? So identifying kind of what are your automatic thoughts and beliefs about money and then how you engage or don't engage in money talk based on your history I think is a, a really important first step. Right, right. So um, you, you also talk about um, – Curiosity killed the cat, but saved the conversation. I, I love that that uh, subtitle. <laughs> Thank you. I do. Curiosity killed the cat. Basically, um, I you know I don't have any kids, so I have a cat Avery who uh, holds quite a fond position in our family. I think she rules the roost. Um, but you know, one day I was sitting there and I was thinking, you know, what is it that makes for a good conversation? And it's really us wondering and being curious, like we are. Um, young kids. So to go back to that example with the coffee maker that my husband and I were arguing about, 
it's when I got curious and I stopped defending myself, saying it was a good bargain, it's a coffee maker, it's only $35. You know, I was just trying to be right. Um, when I took a step back and I said, so why does it bother you so much about this, you know, $35 coffee maker? And started to get curious that it opened up the dialogue and I could really understand where he was coming from. So in the book, I talk a, li a little bit about how you can bring that sense of wonder or that curiosity to any money conversation, you know, whether that's with a partner, a parent, a business partner, an employer, if you're asking for a raise, a client, if you're looking to raise your fees. I mean, there's so many ways in which curiosity can really help you out. And I think it's a skill we all are born with that we tend to lose over time, um, but that you can reconnect with. So part of um, you know, the roadmap to breaking money silence is reconnecting with your curiosity as opposed to judging why somebody's doing something financial, financially. Right. Um, wonder with them, and it, it's amazing what you learn. I mean, you may not agree, but you at least learn something about the other person that can be really right. beneficial. Well, that, that gives me some practical uh, things for, for my Friday night date with my husband tonight because <laughs> we, we had a He'll particularly difficult. Well, we had a particularly difficult week. Um, he oh, he happens to be making more money than I made in any one year in my corporate life. And and I had very good jobs, right? But he's in sales, so he's got kind of this unlimited uh, earning potential and, and it has just been doing amazing. And he's 67 years old. So to be doing this at that age is is remarkable and so much so that he he doesn't really want to retire i mean he's getting tired and would like to but it's awfully hard to walk away from that kind of success but at the same time my current venture is taking longer to get off the ground mm. and so you know like routine right with with entrepreneurs the spouse whichever one it is there's invariably the you need to go out and get a job you know, you need to go get a job. And I'm like, oh, my God, that would be like the worst thing in the world for me. First of all, I've been working for myself for 21 years, and who's going to hire a 60-year-old who's been, you know, the, the master of their own destiny for 21 years? Not likely, right? But but so tonight I'm, I'm going to try the curiosity thing because I, I think – uh, you know, I think I know what's bothering him, right? Uh, but maybe I'm wrong. Well, right? and, and it's and, really and we are the until death or divorce do you part. Although the divorce part is not on the table, right? Right. And and we do need to have some difficult conversations. And I've learned in 27 years of being married to this guy, you don't have those conversations when the emotions are running high, like they were the other night when he's like, "Well, you just need to go get a job." <laughs> Well, and one of the things that I would say is, you know, for anyone, uh, when emotions are running high, it's not the best time to have a money conversation. You can't always avoid that. Um, but to kind of just give a practical tip, you know, wondering what does that job, if you were to get a job, what, what would be different for him? You know, how would that affect your life? Not in terms of proving that, no, you don't want me to get a job, um, but more around, you know, what does that represent to him? Is it security? Right. Is it um, consistency of income? Is it that, you know, you'd work less hours? You know, whatever it is to kind of really get Unlikely. curious. <laughs> <laughs> and so, um, you know, when we're having a difficult money conversation, whether it's as a couple or with our aging parents, 
often I find if we bring that, that healthy dose of curiosity and ask more questions, and then here's the hard part, because I'm highly verbal, I've already told you, it's hard for me to be quiet, um, is to sit back and really listen to the answers and really understand, as opposed to our tendency, and you kind of mentioned this um, in a roundabout way, our tendency to mind read, especially if we're with partners <laughs> that we've been with a long time. You know, yeah. I've been with my husband over 20 years. I often think I know what he's thinking, which infuriates him, as it should, um, because I'm mind reading as opposed to asking. And so it's checking right. out your assumptions. Right. Well, yeah, and, and I, I got bit by that this week as well because I was trying to do some things that I thought would be really good for our credit report, and we'd like to refinance our house in January. And, and oh, my gosh, it just got completely misread, and our bank got involved because they were trying to help get another uh, a credit card, and he's like, no, no credit. We don't want any credit. You know, because we spent a lot of time getting completely out of debt, and uh, you know, and so that's super important to him. Um, let's shift gears a little bit uh, because I'm fascinated um, by the talk of kids and money, and we happen to have been very fortunate because um, my parents didn't talk to me about money at all, um, and I ended up making a lot of money uh, over the years. And because my parents never talked about it, I did not have the proper perspective on saving or investing. I was really good at the spending part, right? Mm -hmm. And even the giving. I, I, I did the giving piece but because uh, that's always been important to me. But I went. we went through Financial Peace University, uh, Dave Ramsey's course, and then oh, I okay. ended up teaching it, and my daughter went through it. And, and now my son is very interested in it, although he's a natural saver. He's much more like his dad, and my daughter's much more like me. So how do we raise a financially intelligent next generation? It's a good question. It's complicated, but I think it starts with talking about money with our kids as early and as often as we can. Not to say to become money-obsessed, um, but you know, around age five or six, um, young people know what money is, and you know sometimes we'll teach them the you know the value of a coin or a dollar, uh, and start there, um, and then it's kind of continuing to have those dialogues as they age and go through different developmental uh, periods in their life. So, for instance, the kid becomes you know 10, 11, 12, and maybe they're doing some chores at home or mowing a neighbor's lawn. It's you know teaching them about when you make that money. How do you put some money in savings, some money you can spend for fun money, and some money you want to give to charity? Um, right. And then, you know, as time progresses, the conversations get a little bit more complex. Now, if you are listening in and you are saying, well, my kids aren't five or six, they're 25 or 26, you know, I, I'm of the belief that it's never too late to start engaging in a money conversation and to maybe do so in a way that really relates to that individual, that, in quotes, kid. Right? So think about what's going on in their lives. Um, if you have, like for instance, my niece is 25. She recently um, landed a job at a law firm. And so she knows that I'm, obviously I'm pretty out with the fact that I'll talk about money. She called me and so when she was negotiating salary, we, we talked about negotiating her salary. My nephew came to me when he was starting a new job and um, had questions about you know, saving and investing in retirement. And, and while I'm not an expert in all of those things the way an advisor would be, you know, engaging in a dialogue at, 
with a kid where they're at is what's important. Um, right. And so, and, and making it fun, you know, I, I want to give you some time to respond, but I think the creativity and being fun is also an important piece. Like, I don't know about you, but I don't want to be lectured about money. I didn't when I was a kid. I don't as an adult. And so right. how do you, you know, have some fun around it? And in the book, I have some fun exercises like uh, a gender money myth exercise or, um, you know, listening to songs and trying to figure out what the money messages are and then talking to your kids about it. So it's trying to make it relatable, applicable to their lives. And, and talking about it often helps demystify it, right? It's kind of like, oh, if mm-hmm. we talk about exercise or we talk about, um, you know, what we're going to eat nutritionally for dinner and, oh, by the way, we're going to talk a little bit about money, it becomes less of a big deal. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? It does. It does. And, uh, you know, I think that there could be a whole chapter on when your kids go off to college. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I, you and know, it, what I said yeah. to my daughter when she was home for some, you know, for the summer break, and, and she did work all summer, and, and the goal was, to save money so that when she wanted to do something, when she went back to school, that she would have the money. Well, at the beginning of the summer or right before she came home, she all of a sudden became absolutely obsessed with getting a new gaming computer. Well, she had just (laughs) bought one before she left. And so we went ahead and gave in and let her get it, and she spent all summer paying us back, right? And now she's back at school, and, you know, of course, well, this week it was they got two kittens, right? So now she's got kittens to take care of, feed and, college. and all of that. And she realized that when she transferred money out of her bank account here into her Polish bank account, that there was a $20 uh, international charge, oh. right? She's like, that cut into my food budget. And I said, oh, really? <laughs> I said, well, you're just going to have to figure out how to economize. I said, that's what happens to mom and dad when dad's commissions are less than what we think. You know, there's some. See, I love that. Now you're not going to be able to buy that next game you wanted to buy for your gaming computer. (laughs) But what's so great about that is, okay, so you gave in initially, um, but she paid you back, which is a great lesson. Like, this isn't a free ride. And then when she's struggling because of the choices she made, you're reinforcing that sometimes this is what happens with money. And so you're doing exactly what I would coach parents to do, which is sometimes we have to let our kids make financial mistakes in order to learn from it. And it can be painful as a parent because, you know, they're calling and requesting money or you have to say no several times. Um, But that's exactly, you know, a great lesson. My guess is next summer she'll do something differently. Uh, I certainly hope so. <laughs> but the I, other I, thing, I, and what I started to tell you, is that before she went back to school, I told her that there needs to be like a two-for-one ratio of phone calls that don't include money as a topic, right? Because the request for money can dominate the conversation oh. when your child goes off to school. Mm-hmm. And I'm not talking about telling them about money. I'm talking about them asking for money. Right, sure. and and it can ruin the and well not ruin the relationship. That's that's a little bit too dramatic. But but really, I had to tell her what that feels like for every conversation to be a request. And and we're not a money fountain, right? We're not a money tree. Well, um, what you're but, that was a money conversation that you had though, because you know yeah. often we think the money conversation is her requesting the money, and the money conversation you had back is this what it, this is what it feels like to always be asked for money, and so that's. 
even though it sounds right. like it's a, a time of a little bit of struggle in the relationship, it sounds like it was a real good opportunity to talk about money in a more useful way and say right. it's part of our lives. It's not every conversation. Right, right. Well, yeah. and and it's funny because that, that kind of brings me back to the conversation that I want to have tonight with my husband, uh, you know, again, that curiosity conversation, but also helping him understand that I definitely want my company to succeed. I want to be past this place where I'm not contributing because, quite frankly, and, and it boils down to really simple things like I hate having to have him color my hair than going and getting my hair done, right? <laughs> and and I'm fortunate my husband will help me color my hair, right? So it saves awesome. a ton of money. But, you know, I really would like to be able to go and get my nails done without feeling like I'm having to ask him for money, right? Because for the first 20 years of our marriage, I never had to ask for anything. I just did it because I knew we had it, right? And um, so, you know, sometimes discussing up those kinds of things makes it more real of, of understanding the emotional side of things. Absolutely, and I think it's letting your partner know and then asking questions of your partner around, you know, what do these things symbolize? You know, uh, I can remember when I was an entrepreneur and um, very new at it and in a situation that is similar to what you're in now, and I can remember going to Pier 1 and buying a uh, coat rack and my husband said we don't need that coat rack and I said why don't you put these bar stools which we agreed we needed into uh, the car and then I bought the coat rack <laughs> and it was a finance it was a moment of like I am back I am financially independent even though we right. are in a relationship together and so that feeling as an entrepreneur is really important and so I think, you know, focusing on what does it feel like when each of you are in different earning positions or different points right. in your career is a really useful money talk. I would encourage people who are listening in that have dual careers or maybe are in non-traditional gender roles around money um, to engage in that type of conversation. It can really be very, very helpful. Right, right. Well, Kathleen, this has just been uh, really, really uh, enlightening. And, and again, uh, selfishly, it, it has been very practical uh, for me just because this has been, you know, one of those unusual tense weeks surrounding money talk in, in my own home. And, you know, this book, again, we've been talking about the book Breaking Money Silence, How to Shatter Money Taboos, talk more openly about finances, and live a richer life. Kathleen, can you tell folks the best way to get in touch with you? Absolutely. The best way is to go to the website. It's breakingmoneysilence.com. And there's free tips and tools there for people, and you can access all sorts of different material. Um, and I just want to thank you, um, Chicky. It's been great to be on the call, and I'm, I know that this fi financial tension is just temporary, and hopefully it has some <laughs> tools yes. that will help you tonight in your conversation. Absolutely. Well, the thing that, that helped greatly is uh, today I am training our new VP of sales, and, and really sales cures all uh, in an entrepreneurial venture, and I haven't had anybody selling so, and my husband's a salesperson, so he's like, well, how come you don't just go out and sell? It's like, I, I wasn't born with that gene. I'm so sorry. <laughs> but uh, we, are, we are taking steps, and I had him meet with him last night. So, you know, there, there is a good way to deal with all of this, and as, as you have aptly pointed out, just 
talking about it just really helps so, so very much. Absolutely. I think breaking money silence can, in your relationship or in your business can do so much good if you just you know dare to take that risk. So thank right. you for the opportunity to um, talk about the book and to share my work with you. Well, my pleasure. And uh, for those listening, go out and change your game by breaking money silence. Thanks so much for your participation. We'll see you again next week. You've been listening to The Game Changer. Ideas. Inspiration. Innovation. With Chickie Fitzgerald.